This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this conversation featuring Steve Tucker from Morbid Angel. Now, this is not new content. The chat has been available via podcast app since March of 2018. The catalyst for the chat with Steve was the launch of Kingdoms Disdained in a Lobber Grenade early on, which Steve dutifully dismantles. But elsewhere, we talk all about Morbid Angel's legacy, formulas fatal to the flesh, the then new guys, Dan Vadim Vaughn and Scott Fuller, who are called Matt in this chat, so that's who I'm referring to, his relationship with Trey and also clickbait culture. All right, let's get stuck into it. Here he is, Steve Tucker. Here he is, the man himself. It's Andy McKay-Smith calling, mate. How are you going? How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. What's been going on today? What time is it over there, mate, if you don't mind me asking? It must be close to the evening, is it? Uh, right now. It's about 7 in the evening right now. Yeah, I was up. That was at 1900. I don't know. You guys, you guys are 24-hour clock. Oh, oh, either. Yeah, that makes sense to me. 7 o'clock, 1900, same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing. Yeah, I've had a bit right, of an... Right on. Yeah, I've had a bit of an early morning because I was talking to Donny from the band Riot at about 5.30 a.m. our time, uh, just to sync up with his time there. So, Oh, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We do a few of these interviews wow. this, this time. What time is it now, man? Uh, 10, 10 a.m. in the morning. What time is it there now? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've been doing it. I've been, I've been talking to people from uh, Australia since a, for about an hour and a half, so... I was thinking, holy shit, was it 5.30 in the morning? But okay, no, it wasn't that early. It wasn't that early. How's the, how's the I call it the, the phone grind. How's the Aussie phone grind or media commitment to, commitments with us, us Australians been treating you? Oh, it's cool. You know, I mean, uh, I've found, man, actually every Australian I've ever met cool as hell. So, I mean, honestly, every, every interview has been a good interview. I mean, um, it just it seems like... Uh, it seems like most Australians, it seems to me that I've ever met in my life are the most positive people that I've ever met in my life. So it seems okay, to cool. always stay on the positive side. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it's great, you know. Good to know. All right, mate. Well, look, I'll, I'll kick things off. But before I do, I'm recording this for the purposes of releasing it on my radio show and also podcast series. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, I'll try and watch my language the best that I can. No, go ahead, mate. I host a Not Safe for Work program, so please swear away and be as uncouth as you think you need to be. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to kick things off. Steve, it's truly a pleasure to get to talk to you, mate. I've been a fan of your work and Morbid Angel's work now for far too many years to count. Your new album, number 11, Kingdoms Disdained. Now, as I mentioned, I'm an old fan. And when I say a fan, I truly feel as though Trey is the greatest metal guitarist of our generation by some measure. So I include he and Vito Brada from White Line in that basket. So when I compare Kingdom's Disdain against Formulas Fatal to the Flesh, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure that the album had achieved what it needed to, especially given the critical response to the previous album. So what I really like about it, though, is your vocal is just vicious, which is great. And finally, I can hear your Blackheart bass on a track like Paradigm's Warped. Not to mention the fact that Trey's offering some of the best lead breaks in his career. So my point here would be this. It sounds as though the band has gone for a deliberately underground sounding production 
when I felt, being an old fan, greater sonic clarity would have enhanced so many of the killer riffs and cuts across the album. Now, my point, the reason I arrived at this conclusion is because I listen to, I get a heap of advanced releases and, and copy to review for magazines and my radio show. So I listen to it through my iOS speakers in particular. And, mate, I think the tracks are wonderful, but I'm just not sure the production does it justice. So, mate, I'm going to hand it over to you and care to comment. I mean, honestly, it's disappointing to, to, to hear that. I mean, we worked with Eric Rutan, and, I mean, um, you know, Eric's been a part of the, the Morbid Angel camp for, I don't know, 25, 30 years or something mm -hmm. like that. I, I mean, since the Blessed Are the Sick Days and... um. I, you know, we uh, we wanted it to be gritty. I mean, honestly, uh, it's, it, there there were no corners cut whatsoever during the production. It's uh, it's all there, man. And um, you know, as far as the final mix, I think that's always something that one person may prefer something different uh, than another person, especially these days. You know, with sort of the scoop sound that most modern bands sound. We yeah. actually went for much more of, you know, what the martial amps actually sound like. We didn't use any uh, any sort of replacement instruments, man. You know, I mean, it was yeah. real martial amps, you know, you know, playing through real amps and, and such. So, like, I mean, you know, as far as it ending up a little bit grittier, it's probably because, you know, we recorded the album in a much more traditional way than most people do these days. You know, most people these days will use... You know, uh, the process of sort of step recording where they do it a riff at a time and, mm. you know, every single thing is, you know, um, sort of this uh, locked to a computer sound and feel for me, but it's not really done that way. Everything's recorded with a metronome, you know, to a metronome, but it's... Uh, yeah. You know, it's all very natural sounds and stuff like that. But, you know, the, like as I said, the final mix, it's always one of those things where, you know, one person, man, they absolutely love it, while another person absolutely finds no enjoyment in it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. For me, man, you know, what we're doing, what we're doing so weird that it's sort of, uh, you know, uh, with the guitars doing the polyrhythms and things like that, it, it's sort of an adventure, I think, to even listen to it. So finding the right mix, man, I mean, uh, for your ears, dude, it just could be a really tricky equation. You know? Yeah, it wasn't, I'll tell you what it was, I'll, I'll be I'll be specific, it was more the drum sound. Now, it wasn't that I'm so used to hearing Pete or even uh, Tim. Um, I know for a fact Matt can play, mm -hmm. there's no question about that. It was just, it sounded very clicky. Now, I, so I, I, I have, believe me, I reviewed the album for Metal Obsession website as well. So I've spent quite a lot of time listening to it. So the songs are definitely there. I'm convinced of that. And as I said, your your vocal sits beautifully over the top of everything. So I can totally under I totally understand what you guys were trying to achieve, layering your vocal at the top like a cherry on top of a cake. But it just sounds as though the drums the drums are bang on point. Wonderful drummer, but it's just the drum sound in particular, the bass drum sound. If I want to get really specific and go right into where I found. Um, so where, where I just found, okay, if I was doing it or if I, I actually came up with a bit of a solution, so I'm going to take a bit of a tangent, okay? There's a bloke, now I totally, yeah, respect, sure. totally respect Eric's contribution to the band over the years. He's an absolute legend. Hate Eternal are a fantastic band. I actually, because I'm, such, because, because I'm such a big fan of Formulas Fatal to the Flesh, there's a producer called Drew Falk. Now, I don't know whether you've heard of him, but he produced an album by a band called Amur called Look at Yourself. Now, I'd ask you to have a listen to that mm -hmm. album there. And the bass drum and the drum sound on that okay. album, if you could impose the drum sound on that album onto the drums, onto the, the type of drumming that Matt has offered, 
for Kingdoms Disdained, I think he'd be up, come up with an absolute winner and the album would be hailed as a classic. Now, that's only my take. As an old fan, I'm almost putting aside my journalistic tendencies here and I'm just talking to you as a fan here, if you don't mind. So that's where I'm coming from. Sure, with that sure. No, yeah. I mean, that's all good. Yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, I mean, for me, man, like, um, you know, and especially kick drum. Kick drums are one of those things where, man, you know, I wanted to have depth. I always want the kick drums to have some depth. And, I mean, it's a fine line, but, you know, formulas on formulas, you have a... Uh, you know, this one is about, you know, 80, 89%, 100% natural kick. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then a little bit of a, a little bit of trigger on top just to fill in the blanks. And I mean, we, we went with that format this time. Honestly, there's more acoustic drum than, you know, than you've heard on the Morbid Angel record in, in a while. You know, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it had really, we'd, we'd really gone to a much tighter, um, you know, P triggering his stuff, but, you know, we had really good acoustic sound. So, Honestly, in there, man, you know, it's one of those things. Honestly, I know, I know exactly what you're saying about kick drums. You know, sometimes, man, just even a little tweak of a of an EQ can take a, t- turn something from clicky into smooth or hmm. or whatever. And um, yeah, if it's one of those things, man. Um, for me, dude, you know, I spend so much time, dude, you know, during this whole process that you know when I listen to the mixes, man, I, I feel. I feel like, okay, man, we, we have a finished album. It disappoints me, of course, if someone feels, you know, this or that could be better. But it, but I think that's always the case, dude. You yeah. know what I mean? I think Agreed. it's always yeah. the case. I think that there's no album out there that you could say, oh, well, that one, maybe, okay, maybe Master of Puppets. I don't know. I love that album. So mm-hmm. maybe that album. But most albums out there, you can't say I would, there's nothing on it that I wouldn't change. You know what I mean? And Absolutely, I mean, yeah. For me, I mean, dude, if we could, if we could go in, you know, that's sort of the thing. When you're doing, when you're in the process, man, it doesn't stop. You don't ever have time to walk away, let your ears have a fucking month to rest, and then come back and give it a listen and say, man, you know what? I think we need to do this. That's not part of the process at all. What it really is is you're working on it until it's completely done. You're handing it over to the mastering, and and really honestly, you're hoping that you feel ninety eight percent. And, and, and uh, you know, I definitely, with this album, I definitely felt, you know, I mean, we sent away to mastering. Yeah, okay, I think I think we're good. I think it sounds great. Yeah, of course. So yeah. If, if things end up a little bit off for your ear or something, I mean, honestly, it's disappointing. It's, um, But, dude, I, it's like that with me for every single album that I own, you know? Mm. Look, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I've taken that view on it, and I really hope I haven't offended you, because I am genuinely a massive fan. Oh, no, actually you know. not at all, dude. I mean, because you've said a dozen positive things as well. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to just solely focus on, you know, a, a negative thing. You've said a, a dozen things. And I mean, I, I, I definitely, I disappoint you. I mean, I've heard people, it, it really always goes both ways. It's, it, this album for me hasn't been any different than any other Morbid Angel album I've been involved with where there's one, one oh, you know, if I talk to this person, it, the guitars are too loud or too or too low or this person the vocals aren't loud enough it's 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 yeah. really been the same yeah. so you know i wish i wish that it, i wish that it really just knocked your face off you know what I mean? well i'll tell you something too i'm going to hand you another compliment because i could actually hear a lot of the gray eminence throughout kingdom's disdain so it sounds as though you've had a hell of a hand in the writing of not just the, the lyrics but also the guitar parts am i on point there I wrote a few of the songs. I wrote, yeah, I wrote some stuff on the album, man. Um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, the thing about that is, you know, that 
father is me. You know, Morbid Angel was me when I was in Morbid Angel, and then, you know, mm -hmm. Warfather is me, and now, you know, I'm in Morbid Angel, so it's all just the same element. And I think that, man, the one thing about Trey and myself, the relationship between them, I trust that dude 100%. I trust that dude to write songs that I'm going to enjoy making, um, mm -hmm. turning into songs with lyrics, things like that. And I believe he fully trusts me to do my end after he writes something. So, you know, with that, it allows me the space to just be naturally who, the, who I am. I'm not trying to, you know, um, I'm not trying to change who I am because I'm in Morbid Angel. You know, I think I'm in Morbid Angel because of who I am, to be honest. Now, yeah. mm. hey, you mentioned Trey there. So if you don't mind, I'd just like to ask you a question about your relationship with him. So I take it that he doesn't do media anymore because I honestly haven't read an interview with him in, I think it's over well over a decade at this point. And I think it's good that he lets his considerable talent on the guitar do all of the talking. So, mate, how did you guys go about reconnecting with each other after David left the band? And I man, have always been in contact with each other. I mean, you know, we spent a number of number of years playing music together and touring together, and um, you know, being friends as well. It wasn't totally a business. For, I mean, we were friends as well. So hmm. from time to time, we were touching base, you know, through emails and things like. But I think once he had sort of decided that he wanted to, you know, wanted was interested in, in trying to play music with me and write music with me again, I think that um, you know, we we just have some mutual friends that I think. He sort of, uh, they help propel it. You know what I mean? As they do, man. When you have good friends that are mutual friends and they see a bridge that should be built, they try and build that bridge. And that's really what happens. You know yeah. what I mean? We have some mutual people who just put us both right back into a conversation and, and there we were, you know? Yeah, gotcha. Hey, so let's talk about Formula's Fatal to the Flesh, if that's okay, because uh, I think it's got possibly sure. the he heaviest song ever recorded on it in the, the verse riff and nothing is not. It's just brutal. It's just crushing. And the album, of course, marked your first recording with Morbid Angel, and many fans, myself included, regard it as the band's unheralded, unheralded classic, possibly the best album of the band's canon of work, which is really bloody saying something, given that Morbid Angel are, in my view, the most legendary death metal band of all time. So... Are you aware of how revered many fans hold Formulas Fatal to the Flesh? And what's your take on the album's legacy now that it's 20 years of age? Honestly, I'm, I try not to really be too aware of what anybody's um, sort of um, opinion on a lot of things are. You know what I mean? I mean, from, mm. even when people come up, I'm not real comfortable guy taking a compliment. You know, I'm not a, it's, it's not something that, it's not why, I play music because I'm crazy, dude. I play music because my brain does not function the way other people's brain functions, and the only thing that I function in a social, acceptable way is, is playing music. You know what I mean? That's why I play music. So, compliments and things like, man, they, they really kind of throw me off. They make me feel really awkward. I don't know how to act. I don't really want to talk about things like that. I would much rather somebody turn me on to a, a new band that they think's awesome than tell me what I, that I'm awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as far as formulas goes, dude, I know, man, that that album is just a monster. It, I mean, it really is. And honestly, I think that there's a lot of elements there's an explanation. I mean, it's, there's a, 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 a clear logical explanation. I mean, honestly, I, I really have to say on that album, you know, Trey had something to prove. I believe, I think David yeah, addressed the band. Trey, honestly, I think Trey felt that David had gone in a direction that he didn't want to go in as well. 
And I believe that it was a statement. This is what Morbid Angel is. This is a reminder that, you know, for just like Altars of Madness was the, the, the curtain opening, this is a reminder of what Morbid Angel really is. Now, you know, what the, what the chemical makeup of it had become might have changed a little bit, but this is what Morbid Angel is. That's what I think Formulas is, so the fact that I think it's held its ground through time, and actually, I, I honestly, I think become more and more respected over time. I think, I think that, that mm. that's all very logical, man. <laughs> you know, like I mean, because it was, it, it was for me my first, you know, my first release, uh, worldwide release, yep. playing in a band that you know was already a, an established band, and I better do a goddamn good job. You know, um, hmm. and it was uh, it was it was intense, man. Everything around it was intense. The, the, the rehearsing process was intense. The recording process was in, intense. The press process was intense. Everything about it, man, was just a go 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 thing, and it was a machine, man. And it was at that point that I actually realized being in Morbid Angel was a part of like like uh, you know that song by Pink Floyd, "Welcome to the Machine." Yeah. That was it, man. <laughs> I was part of the machine now. Good you know, analogy. like uh, so. Right, right. You know, uh, the, for me, it, it it was something that I mean, I joined, and then I was on, I was along for the ride. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I mean, because everything was new, man. Everything was new, and for those reasons, I think for for my excitement of wanting to do something that you know meant something for Trey's desire to just make a bold state, bold statement. You know, um, I think that it it made for an incredible album. Mm -hmm. I've got, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing piece of work, and and I don't know whether it was uh, some pundit online or somebody commenting under a video on YouTube, but it said it sounded like Morbid Angel dipped in acid, and I thought, yeah, that's that's pretty much on on par with what kind of what it's think it sounds like in a way. It's it's otherworldly, and you make that Pink Floyd reference. It, it's actually got that Pink Floyd feel to it, hasn't it? With numerous, I know there there's always been actually there's always been instrumentals, except for on Altars and Kingdom Sustained. You know that, so I don't know whether you realize that. I think that, yeah, I think that uh, this time around, it was one of those things where honestly, we felt that man, the songs were so diverse. Like you know, they kind of take you up and down emotionally as far as you know these vibes that it wasn't necessary. A lot of times, you know, when we put we put in these you know instrumental segues, like there was a lot on formulas. Heretic had a lot, and Gateways had a lot. When we did those things, um, like even like the frogs. It was to sort of make a mood. Yes. You know, you, you, you're you yes. taking uh, the end of one song, you, you have this mood. Now you need to change the mood to get to the next song. And that's what those things were apart, man. Honestly, we didn't feel like we needed that on this. We really honestly felt that the songs went into each other and the mood flow was better than we could have even ever expected. You know, yeah. um, so that, that's why they're not on this album. And, and I think the, you know, alters, I mean, you would have to ask, you know, Trey, but I think it was probably some, a very similar reason, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I love what you guys did on Kawazu that segues very nicely into Summoning Redemption, which is another bloody killer track from you guys, isn't it? You know, um, one of the best one-two opening punches that I think any death metal al album has ever offered. I mean, 
you know, it's like, you know, you, you remember the beginning of Dominate, you know, ching, ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, into Dawn of the Angels. You know, like, I mean, come on. I mean, Morbid is kind of, that's always been the thing, dude. You know, and then you go from that into where the slime <laughs> is. This has always been sort of a, you know, there's songs on this album that Trey said, Steve, this song is, needs to go into that song, into that song. There was a, there's three songs on the album in particular that they needed to be that way in his mind, so they're that way. Mm. You know what I mean? But really with this album, dude, a lot of the flow, man, a lot of the flow, it was, uh, Man, it all fell together real well, man. Uh, the way that all the songs, you know, the order of them and things like that. And then after listening to it, I thought, man, this is a this is a roller coaster, you know. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to invest in the album on vinyl, especially if I can get a hold of the 3D album cover as well. Actually, because I know you put you, you, there was a post. I follow you on Facebook actually, and I know you made a post about how happy you were with the album cover, the 3D version in particular. And, you know, that's actually, that's not the vinyl. The 3D, that's the 3D lenticular, man. That's like, you know, you know the thing, you know, uh, like the hologram type of stuff. Yeah. When you turn it a certain way, it, it is dimensional. Man, this thing looks fucking amazing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. It looks amazing. Everything, dude, this dude, you know, we're doing this box set. Mm. They sent me this box set. It blew my mind. I mean, you know, this thing is heavy duty. First of all, like just the box. When I put it out, I, I thought that there must be other things in the in, in the shipment as well, you know, but then I pulled out and it's just this box and I was like, holy shit, man. I, I've never, man, I've never, as part of my musical career, dude, I got to tell you, Earache Records, <laughs> whatever, they, they, they never spent a lot of money on packaging and things. And these, this label, man, Silver Lining, has made it to where everything, the vinyl, everything, this box set is, is of the top, most top notch quality. quality, top paper, top sheen, Everything is it, everything is as good as you can possibly purchase, dude. Yeah. It, it's all amazing looking, man. They did an incredible job. They really, really honestly, man, made me feel like for the first time of all the albums I've done, the artwork and, and, and the physical thing is, is the equivalent of what we, we did musically. You know mm. what I mean? Hey, I'm just going to do a time check, mate. How much uh, longer have I got? Because I know my 20 minutes is up. But if I've got time for one more question, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, you're cool, man. You're you're the last one. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm sitting there smoking a joint. So cool, you're cool. go ahead. We'll do another one. Well, look, I, I know you said you don't like compliments, but I'm going to give you another one, okay? Because there was a headline in Blabbermouth in December which read, Morbid Angel frontman hits out at fake news and clickbait culture. And you can imagine, I'm being an indie journalist, I've had my articles picked up and printed in. I won't name the outlets, but you know the ones I'm talking about, okay? Now, you, you were quoted as saying, there's so many metal websites and metal magazines that are really just about gossip and not about metal. And then you go on to say, for ratings online and things like that, magazines are doing it for gossip and doing it for that big headline and to make so many people click on it and read it and just like most everything else on our planet right now, the truth isn't what's important, to which I just raised a very hearty round of applause that somebody had actually said that from within our community. So, of course, I agree with your sentiments 100%. You know, as I mentioned, hosting the podcast series, these places pick up on these interviews. I had one recently get picked up from a discussion that I had with Andreas Kisser. But I must ask, mate, who is at fault? Yeah. Is it the metal fans, you know, these juvenile metal fans who don't seem to have anything better to do on, with their time, who continue to click and comment under silly features, or is it these bloody awful websites that continue to publish them? Myself, I think it's the websites, because, I mean, the websites, you know... 
Okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older, you know. I mean, obviously, Morbid Angel's been out a long time, and I mean, um, Formulas came out over 20 years ago. You know what I mean, and, and for me, you know, to, my outlet for looking, learning about uh, bands and, um, and, and learning about bands were really fanzines, dude. You know, it was fanzines. It was these things that guys used their own goddamn money, their own time, their own camera, everything. They'd go, they'd meet the band, they'd do their best to get an interview with a dude, and, and then they would uh, piece this all together out of their own money. It was usually black and white cheap. But to be honest with you, I think uh, it, was, it was very legit. It was extremely legit because, I mean, and back in the day, man, if you, you know, if you wrote a shitty article that, with lies in it, some fake headline, it would get back to the band that you did it about, and then you wouldn't get any more interviews with any other bands. Hmm. Yes. Now that doesn't matter because everyone forgets in 35 seconds now. You know what I mean? So that doesn't really matter. You're still going to, people still just go on and, and you come back to it. But, um, you know, for me, man, the, it, it seems that, it seems that it's a different mentality. I think that there's just a completely different mentality. I mean, the younger fan, man, you know, the, the guy who's 21 years old and he's a death metal fan and thinks he knows every goddamn thing in the yeah. world about life. Believe me, dude, I thought I did. I thought I did too, man. He's not any different than me. And to be honest with you, that dude may have a lot of amazing opinions and theories, man. You know, but the point is, he's still just a 21-year-old dude that's only experienced the planet Earth for 21 years. You know what I mean? And for mm -hmm. him, the world needs to constantly entertain and feed him. That guy needs to be fed news and information 24 hours a day. Otherwise, you're not doing your fucking job, man. Otherwise, you're not, you know, you're, you're you know, what, what, what? I mean, uh, he needs uh, an update on um, DSI every every two, three days or something. <laughs> or DSI doesn't exist in his mind anymore. Or job for a cowboy or a black dahlia murder or whatever. They don't exist anymore if he doesn't talk about them for two or three days because that's the way he's been programmed for the past 21 years. You know, so whose fault actually is it? I think it's I think it's society's fault, man. I think society has fed us into this commercial. Uh, you know, watch five minutes of a television program, ten minutes of commercials, five minutes of the program, ten minutes of commercial. They they, they didn't used to be like this. It didn't, it wasn't like that when yeah. you watched a television program. You know, now you actually see twenty in an hour. You see twenty minutes of a television program and forty minutes of commercials. So people are used to being having things forced fed upon them and then just like anything you become sort of immune to it man you're used to it you're used to get just information being put in and put out and it's really becomes irrelevant it's like someone who's who um is un un uncontrollably addicted to food or something like that hmm. it gets to a point where it doesn't matter what they're eating it doesn't matter if it's more than likely it's not healthy None of that matters. It only matters that they consume. Well, that's sort of the way I think that yes. someone who is in their 20s in, in the world today, that's the way their brain is. It's been trained the same exact way as that person's stomach has been trained. You know, it, it is just consume, 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 and um, really don't really pay much attention. Don't really, um, don't really hold on to the information because it's not really relevant anyway. You know, so it's... it's yeah, great summary. You yeah. can lie... I mean, I noticed myself, you know, with most 
news agencies, especially, you know, like, like I'll, I'll say in America, USA Today, you know, um, I, I'll read their news on a daily basis online. I go online like most people to read my news. I'll read their newses, but then every single day what I do is I go and I, I check where, I check their corrections, man. And it's, it's amazing the way they can mm. make a headline based something that is completely bold and scary, and then the next day, on a hidden section of the website, they recant that same information and say, oh, that wasn't actually, it, the truth is the exact opposite of that. We made a mistake. But it's not in the headlines that it was the, the day before. You know, so in other yeah. words, you know, all news is sort of just bullshit. You know, there's some guy in every fucking station and every you know place that broadcasts television all around the world deciding what you do and do not find out information on and how you receive that information and what tone, what side, whose opinion they want you to actually see. There's actually a dude in every single you know station like that. You know, and and, and that to me, man. It, it just means that, you know, all the information that we receive, I would, I would say, you know, myself, that maybe 10% is actually usable, accurate information, mm. but, but truthful information, I don't think we see a lot of it, dude. No, and to your point there, though, about the retractions, fake news is spreading through these fake headlines, and they get shared about God knows how many, 10,000 times on Twitter or whatever it might be, and people just take it as verse, and they're not even seeing the retraction because they're not looking at a single source of where the news actually comes from. So, I mean, you see it constantly. I mean, I just, I mean, you see it on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, okay, now I'm on Twitter because of my presence with the podcast series, but I don't post much outside of the links to the articles, sure. right? That's all I do. But I do go and have a look at particularly a lot of political discussion and the threads, my God, the wormholes that people go down and the ill-informed opinions that they share and present as fact. And it's almost like a cancer in our society in 2018, isn't it? There's no... There's no. I mean, it is. And you know what else is, in my opinion, and what else it is, in my opinion, is is a public court hearing. You know, all of those comments, all of those kind. You know, they have a headline, and then all of those comments. What that is is that is people, the jury, the people out there, actually becoming a jury on the topic and deciding whether it's good, bad, racist, what it is, you know what I mean? And it's like, um, it's weird the way everything and everyone is sort of tried on a daily basis, man. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know, you know, we, we used to have this thing on television here, this lady, Nancy Grace, who would talk about, you know, horror stories. This lady killed her baby and the court hearing is coming up. So for three months, every single day for three hours, she talks about it and basically publicly prosecutes this person. And that really became a standard in America. And I've seen a little bit of that. I've seen a little bit of that in the gossip magazines and England before and, mm. you know, some places. But now it seems due to Twitter, Facebook and uh, Instagram, things like that, you know, we're all now sort of on the same, uh, we're all sort of looking at the same screen. You know what I mean? Mm. And now we've all become this judgmental soapbox fucking yielding society that's really honestly, it's, it's not very truthful, first of all. And, and the things that we're judging people on aren't the truth. And then when the truth does come out, most people just say, yeah, whatever, and, and, and move on. It's, mm. it's a very weird time. Mate, it's a very bizarre time when you've got... Um V vicious attacks dressed up as virtue signaling people virtue signaling and people taking the moral high ground on matters isn't it i mean it just the mob mentality of people on twitter and facebook is truly sickening 
moral and moral high ground is superiority at its at its utmost. You know, these people because I'm this, because I'm not this, because I don't believe in the same God, or because my sexuality is this, or because my color is this all become an issue of superiority because I have more money than you because my house is bigger, my car is bigger, my dick's bigger. It makes people all superior to other people. And there's somehow in, in, in our human being, we become people that must feel superior to other people in order to feel good about ourselves as people. It's, it's, it's very strange, you know? Yeah, it's truly bizarre, mate. Yeah. Well, mate, I better let you go. It's been a fascinating chat. Um, you know, um, I, I, re, you know I, was, I reiterate my comment earlier. I hope I didn't offend you about my feedback about the drum sound on the album because I do think it's a wonderful album and I do think it is. It's a, not a problem at know, all, dude. You know, so, mate, congratulations it's to you too, mate. Yeah. Right cool, man. Thanks very much. And uh, like I said, dude, don't, you know, I mean, don't sweat the comment. I mean, honestly, dude, obviously you're a Morbid Angel fan. You're very knowledgeable and things like that. And, I mean, dude, you're, you're 100% entitled to, you know, an opinion. I mean, if, if the worst thing you think about the album is you wish the production was a slightly different, I think that's a win, bro. Hmm. You know what I mean? I, I really think that that means we please you to the most part. You just wish there was something different, slightly different about it. So, yes. Yeah, Hang on. Wise words, mate. All right, bro. Thank you so much, brother. Cheers. Right Have a good day, dude. Thank Cheers, you too, man. mate. Catch ya. Well, there you have it. A chat with Steve Tucker from Morbid Angel. I like Steve, he's a good bloke, he's a great front man, he's taken his fair share of criticism from the peanut gallery over the years, and as I said in the introduction, that chat has been available via Scars and Guitars podcast app since March of 2018. I repurposed it here for the YouTube audience because I have about a thousand times more of an audience here than what I do over on the podcast apps, and you may not have known that it existed. So there it was. Okay, there are more conversations just like that other members of Morbid Angel, I should say too. Mike Browning. Mike Browning, early on, the vocalist and drummer in the group. I've got a very long chat with him that I'll post whenever I get around to it, basically, but I'm also hoping that at some point in the nearish future, I can connect with Dan Vadim Vaughn, a top fella. Had an interaction with him down at uh, Melbourne when he played bass for Incantation. He gave me his plectrum, his pick that he used in the evening and acknowledged my chance for Morbid Angel a few times. Tremendous fella. All right, so go across to scarsandguitars.com and you'll find other conversations, not just with the members of Morbid Angel, with so many other prominent names in heavy metal and extreme metal. And if you like listening, well, chances are you like reading and you were also in luck on that front because I've written a book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Click on the link in the banner on the website and you know what to do from there because you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. You can always download a sample these days. If you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you in person and so many of you have bought it. Very few of you have hit me up though. I'd like to hear from more of you. Hit me up about lots of other things, just not about the book. And I know you're buying it anyway. More information about the book to share with you in the moment. But before we get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. 
The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.